All right. Well, this morning uh, we are going to be going back to where we started. I believe it was three weeks ago now uh, when we started to talk about the book of Philemon. If you were with us, uh, if you remember, we started looking at Philemon, uh, a small book of only 25 verses, and yet a book in which I believe we can find great meaning and something that can really transform our lives if we would truly listen to the truth and see the example that Paul is setting here uh, in the book of Philemon. So if you want to turn there, that's where we'll be again this morning. Um, But what I'm going to do, because it has been a few weeks, and uh, I know I forget things within uh, a 24-hour time, let alone three weeks, uh, and maybe you weren't here for the first one, we're going to just give a quick review um, of what we've already looked at as we looked at the book of Philemon. Uh, and we've been looking at it, we looked at one day of it, and we only looked at the first two verses uh, out of the 25, and uh, uh, today we're going to do more of an overview of the book. But in order to get to that point, let's remind ourselves of where we're at. Uh, the background of Philemon, you can see this on your notes as well. Uh, in a nutshell, what we see is happening is Paul the Apostle is under house arrest and is writing a personal letter to a man named Philemon, who is a friend and a leader in the Colossian church. So we see that Paul is writing this personal letter to a friend. His name is Philemon, hence the name of the book. And this letter is going to his friend, who is also a powerful leader in one of the churches in the area of Colossae. So we see that that's what's happening. That's what this letter is all about, as Paul writes to Philemon. Uh, We see this letter is written as a plea, then, for Philemon to forgive and restore a man named Onesimus. Uh, and Paul is writing on Onesimus' sake, who was a runaway slave uh, that Philemon owned. And now, though, Onesimus had come through and somehow gotten introduced to Paul's ministry and received the Lord, became a Christian under Paul's ministry, and is now saved and has run away, yes, from Philemon. And, and as we looked at last time we were together, uh, most likely, if, didn't, if he didn't steal from him, he at least made it very hard on Philemon as he left. And Paul is writing on Onesimus' behalf um, as he's sending him back to Philemon and he's asking Philemon to forgive, restore, and receive Onesimus back to himself. So that's where we're at. We've got a personal letter being written on, this, for the, on behalf of Onesimus, that Onesimus, the former slave who had run away, would be forgiven. Uh, in the midst of this letter, this personal letter, that as we looked at last time, if we're, not, if we're not too careful, we could look at this and say, a personal letter, what does it have to do with me? But as we look at this letter, I believe what we're going to see is a lot of truth that Paul writes in here. This letter to Philemon reveals some truths about how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. And that's kind of the idea as we look through Philemon. That's what we're going to look at. How do we relate to God first, and how do we relate to one another? Well, in our last sermon, we started with the idea of how do we relate to God. So if you were there, you remember there was three ways that we primarily looked at, uh, along with a key word that was involved in all three of these. But as we looked at Philemon, in verse 1, we saw that we are fellow prisoners... Remember, we talked about our, we relate to God as a prisoner. And what we meant by that was this, that we are in complete submission to him. Uh, We are submitting to one another. We are owned, controlled, and provided for by Christ Jesus himself. That everything that we are flows from him. Everything that we have flows from him. And we are in complete submission to him. 
But then we looked at that idea that it's fellow prisoners too, that as we submit to God, others in our body, here in our family, here in this church, and church in the universal sense, are also called to be prisoners together. And then we looked at the fact that we are also not only fellow prisoners, but we are fellow laborers in verse 2. And the simple thing we saw here was that we work hard to serve Christ and to bring Him glory. And this is not easy work. We labor. And we are not called to be lazy Christians, but we are called to labor and work for God's glory and to do ministry with one another. We work together as believers in ministry, and it's about working. So we submit as prisoners. We work as laborers. And finally, we looked at the idea that we are fellow soldiers. Also in verse 2, based on how he is addressing the people that he is writing this letter to. And he says, this is the idea that we are fighting for God's glory in this battle against evil. But this is hard and uncomfortable. We looked at the idea of what a soldier does. A soldier goes to war. It's not an easy life. It's not a comfortable life. And yet, we are called as Christians to go to war with one another. To battle evil. To battle what is coming our way and to battle for truth. And that's what we are called to do. But remember, we are fellow soldiers in all this. We fight alongside one another for the mission. If you remember our last time, we made the reference of nobody's a Rambo, right? We've got to be together in this mission. And, and so that's a little bit of where we've been. In these first two verses, the way that Paul addresses himself, how he addresses Timothy, how he addresses the people then he's writing to, Philemon and some others, and the church that Philemon is in, As he does that, we see how we should relate to God as prisoners, laborers, and soldiers. But that key word we looked at in all three of those ways that we identify with Christ is that we are fellows. Remember, we use that word, and I don't know if that's a correct word. I don't know if it's in the dictionary, but we're calling it fellows, uh, where we get the basic of fellowship. And we ended with an emphasis on being fellows. We aren't in this alone. We are prisoners together, we are laborers together, and we are soldiers together as the people of God, as the church, as people who love Him. And as we look at that, as we look at how we are fellows, we aren't just a solo act. We are, today we're going to look at a deeper look at what that looks like. So we're going to kind of go back into that fellow idea, that we are fellows with one another, and we're going to take some time and look at what does that look like. How does that play out? What is it that should really define us as a church, even here in our local church setting and with other Christians? What should define us as we look at being fellows? And here's the main point that we're going to look at today, that we're going to spend some time and we're going to look through Scripture. It's not going to be just in Philemon, but this is what we're going to see over the next, who knows how long, (laughs) is this, that we are called to be fellows through familial love, familial family love. We are called to be fellows through family love, that we love one another as family. That is the main point, that if we are going to be fellows with one another, we need to treat and view and love each other as family. So our main point is that we are called to be fellows through familial love. And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at the book of Philemon and we look at some other passages and we're going to see exactly what we can get out of this. All right, so first of all, we're going to start looking at this main point, this idea that we are called to be love each other as family. We're going to look at what Paul says about that. And we're going to start in the book of Philemon, as he is the writer of this book. But then we're also going to look at two other key passages that Paul writes about. And we're going to see what Paul thinks about how our love should look if we are truly going to be fellows with one another. 
And so we're going to be in Philemon, first of all. And as I did three weeks ago, I'm going to read the whole thing once again. And I know it's a little, it's a little long, and at the same time, it's a pretty short. But to get the overall flavor of this book, let us read the book of Philemon together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our, brother, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing for which is in you, for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ." I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, whom formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. And I have sent him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will." For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more now to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would accept me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. For I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, and I will repay it, not to mention to you that you also owe me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. And at the same time, prepare for me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristocharis, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So that is the book of Philemon, the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon, a very personal letter. And I think as we read that, and you don't just read it as, okay, this is a Bible uh, passage that we need to read, but you think about it in sense of this is a letter that is being written between friends. We see this, this overall feeling that just comes out of love. And, and we're going to look at several ways in which Paul is telling us here in Philemon that familial love, a love of a family, is vital to our Christian walk, and it's vital to our Christian life. So we're just going to take some snippets here as we go through this whole through this letter. We see in verse one, uh, Paul views Timothy as his brother. You can see that right there. He uses that word, Adelphus, brother. Um, second, Paul views Philemon as his as beloved. Uh, verse one also. Uh, speaks to that, to Philemon, our beloved. And in some translations, then, brother is also used there. But we see that he's, at the very least, beloved. Uh, and I want to stop and say something about beloved really quickly. We read that word, and we say beloved. Okay, so he loved him, and we kind of leave it there. Um, this, the base word, and many of you have heard this before, but the base word for beloved, and every time we see it here, and every time the word love is mentioned in Philemon, this is the love that is agape love. This is the self-sacrificing choice to love someone. 
And so this is, uh, even though, and, but whereas we see this brother and sister concept is a little different. That's brotherly love. You know, many of you have heard of phileo, you know, Philadelphia, that's where we get brotherly love, that thing from. So we see here, though, that every time love or beloved is used, Paul is specifically talking about this self-sacrificing, this choice to love one another. So Philemon is viewed as beloved. Uh, Paul views Aphia as his sister. We see that. That's another family term. Uh, In verse 5, Paul notices Philemon's love for the saints. You know, we saw that there in verse 5 where Paul is writing and says, I hear of your love and the faith you have towards the Lord and towards all the saints. In verse 7, Paul acknowledges not only Philemon's love for the saints, but his personal love for himself. In in verse 7, For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Once again, Paul then is, is emphasizing this agape love, that he's found comfort in the fact that Philemon has shown him love. Uh, the next thing in verse 9, we see that Paul addresses Philemon on the basis of love. This is one of the most powerful verses in this letter. Uh, in verse 9, uh, it actually goes back to verse 8. It says, Therefore, then I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I would rather appeal to you. Uh, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And what Paul says in those two verses is pretty simple. Look, uh, you were saved under my ministry. I, ha- I am an apostle. I could tell you what to do. I could say you do this or else. But I'm not going to do that. It's because of my deep love for you that I'm going to appeal to you to do what is right. And so we see that Paul emphasizes love there. And then there's this beautiful section in verses 10 through 13 where Paul is talking about Onesimus. Remember, Onesimus has come to faith under Paul's ministry. We see that here in this passage. But I also want you just to listen to what Paul is saying about his relationship with Onesimus. Starting in verse 10 through verse 13. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is my very own heart whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in the imprisonment for the gospel. What is Paul saying? Well, first of all, he calls Onesimus his child. You know, this is a very loving, endearing term. Obviously, you don't call somebody your child unless you love them deeply. And this is a family type of love. And then we see, he talks about then that Onesimus is what? His very own heart. He loves Onesimus so much that he feels like he's a part of him. Like, he doesn't want Onesimus to go back to Philemon, even though he knows it's the right thing. See, he is connected to Onesimus as his child and loves him deeply. And so we see that Paul understands this concept of how our fellow brothers, our fellows in Christ, should be seen and felt as family. And then finally, in verse 16 in this, in this letter, we also see this. In verse 16 of Philemon, uh, Paul writes and he says, this is, he's writing to Philemon and he says, Look, don't look at Onesimus any longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now even much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul says here that Onesimus needs to be treated, that Philemon should treat Onesimus as a beloved brother. He uses both forms of love in the same sentence and says uh, agape adelphe. Like, uh, we, we love you a brotherly love and an agape love, a self-sacrificing love. He puts it together. And then he says this phrase too, that this is both in flesh and in the Lord. 
that as a result of Onesimus coming to the Lord, they are brothers in Christ, but it should be so close of a relationship that it's just like brother in the flesh. Like there is this understanding that the love that, that Onesimus or Philemon should have for Onesimus, it should be so strong that he would agape him, that he would love him as a brother, and ultimately that it would even be seen as he is his own flesh in the sense of he is blood relation. And that is what Paul is talking about. So those are just some examples. But like I said, as you look at this whole letter, I believe you get this flavor. You see that Paul is just pouring out his heart to Philemon and he's saying, I love you enough and I love Onesimus so much that I want to see you love one another and come together. And the use of brother over and over again, the use of sister, the use of child, these are all family terms. And Paul is saying in Philemon as we look at this, that this is how to view our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That you are my family. I am your family. We are one another's family. Now we throw that word around a lot, but do we really love each other as family the way that we see Paul writing to Philemon? And I would say in many cases we don't. We might say that we're family, but do we really love as if we are? And so that's where Paul actually talks about this concept a few other times in Scripture. So whereas we get this flavor from Philemon, I, th- I think we would not do justice to this subject if we didn't go to see what some other things in Scripture said. And so we're going to look at a couple more things from Paul. Then we're actually going to look at another apostle, and we're going to look at the apostle John. And then we're going to finally look at what Jesus said himself about this concept of loving one another as family. And so we're going to go to Romans chapter 12, if you want to turn over there with me. Romans chapter 12, this is Paul writing once again. And we're going to come back to this passage as we continue to preach through Philemon because honestly, in a lot of ways, I feel like this passage in Romans 12 is an abbreviated version of what we see Paul living out in the book of Philemon. So Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be in verses 10 through 13. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard these verses before. Romans 12, 10 through 13 Uh, And actually, we'll start in verse 9. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord and rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. And practicing hospitality. Now, there's a lot in there. And we're going to actually look at some more of those concepts that are in this passage as we look at Philemon in the next few times that we're together. Uh, But here's what I want to stress today. Specifically in verse 10, Paul stresses familial love, the love of family, by stating it not only once but twice. Paul states that we need to love each other as family twice in the same verse here in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. If we go back there and look at that one more time where it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now this translation, I'm using the NASB today, uh, but most translations uh, say it similar to this, but be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I want to take a minute to look at what this verse is actually saying. Because by using the word devoted, sometimes we don't really get a clear picture of what is being said here. Here's what we see if we look at the original language of the Greek. There are two verbs here uh, that are being used, phileo, which we've already talked about, and the other one is storge. And these two are both ways of describing love. 
Now, storge is where they get devoted, be devoted to. But actually, as you look at the meaning of what storge really means, it's this. It's family affection. That's what it means. Like, it's the emotion that you have with family. Like, it's, you know, it's the feelings you have towards your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father, your kids. It's that familial love. It's that relational love in a family. It's family affection. And then, of course, phileo is brotherly love. And so we see both of these words used pretty much right next to each other. So the literal translation, and you can look at this and you can see this, and some translations actually say it very similar to this. I know one such translation is the Holman Christian Standard Version. If you happen to have that, that's one that I study a lot. But this is basically what this verse, this is exactly how you should translate it. It's this, show family affection through brotherly love. Be devoted to brotherly love is good here, but really specifically, it's show family affection through brotherly love. Now, I don't know about you, but any time I hear somebody repeat something twice in such a short period, it usually means it's pretty important. And I think Paul is doing this very purposely. He wants to show that this is not just, hey, yeah, I'm going to call you brother. You know, hey, how are you doing, brother? Okay, that's a good start, but do we really love each other with the family affection that comes along with that? And one thing I want to say that's interesting here is that Paul is clear here, as, for, as he states this twice, that when Paul is talking about our love for one another, it doesn't just stop at agape. Like a lot of times we hear preaching and we hear teaching and we read things about the word agape and it's a big deal. A lot of churches name themselves after agape love and we talk about how it's self-sacrificing, how it's a choice, how it's even in the hard times we choose, it's unconditional and that's the love that Christ has for us and that is all very true and it's very good and we need to have agape love for one another. But Paul says it doesn't just stop there. In this passage, he's very clear He says, what your responsibility as a Christian to do is to show family affection through brotherly love. And so today, it's not, we're not just talking about the self-sacrificing love. It's also that connection we feel. It's that true love we feel. It's the emotional connection we have with people. It's not, don't be afraid of considering love to be an emotion because part of it is. Love is a choice, not debating that. But love is also an emotion and we can have a choice even when we don't feel that love sometimes. And that's agape. But here the deal is we should marry those together. As we sacrifice for one another, as we choose to love each other unconditionally, there will also be this desire, this affection, this love for one another. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 12. He says, look, this is what love is about. It's show family affection through brotherly love. So it's clear that Paul, then we see him doing it in Philemon as he talks to Philemon, as he talks about Onesimus, but now he says it in Romans to another church, the same idea in just a, in this way, though it's being done as a command instead of just seeing it worked out in the book of Philemon. One last passage that we need to go as we talk about Paul's view of family love within a church, within us as believers, as we are fellows, is in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and this doesn't need a whole lot of explanation as we go there, but what we're going to see is Paul once again to another person that he's writing a letter to. He's writing this to Timothy, a young leader in the church, and he wants to get this vital idea across that we need to love one another in our body as family. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, 
and to the younger women as sisters in all purity. Like I said, it doesn't mean a whole, need a whole lot of explanation. What we do see, Paul is clear that we need to view others as family. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. We need to view one another as family. And as we view others this way, we treat them as family. So it's our actions that we treat others as brothers, mothers, sisters, brothers, uh, fathers. We treat each other as family. So it's, it's about how we treat each other. It's about how we view each other. Paul is super clear throughout all of his writing and in these three specific places, through Philemon, in Romans 12, and also in 1 Timothy 5, that as Christians, as we know Jesus, that we are called to be family and to love one another as family and to treat each other as family. As we close this sermon a little bit later, we'll give some ideas of maybe what that might look like. How do we truly love one another in a really real sense of being family? And we'll look at that as we continue on. But before we get to that part, I do want to look at a couple other passages. A couple other people who have said things throughout Scripture. And we know that Scripture is God's Word and He uses different writers. He is the author but uses different writers throughout Scripture. And we see that God uses another man to tell us some of the same things that Paul has been talking about. And that is another apostle and that is the Apostle John. So if you want to turn to the book of 1 John and... uh, Listen, we could read the whole book of 1 John if we wanted to, and it talks about this very subject. As we go through this passage, we are, we, like I said, we could read this whole thing. We could do an in-depth study on 1 John, and maybe someday we will, but that would be its own series, and it would take probably weeks to do itself. Uh, so we're just going to do an overview this morning about what John says in this first epistle that he writes to, uh, to his, the church he's writing to. As he does this, as he's writing to the church... This is what he says about love as family. And so we're going to look at a few different things. We're going to skip around, but please try to keep up if you can as we look at some passages that we see here in 1 John. The first thing we're going to see in 1 John is this. Our very salvation is made evident by our love for our brothers. Our very salvation is made evident by our love for our brothers. He actually has some very specific and very pointed things to say in this book. And I want to start in 2, 9 through 11. And this passage says this, The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is very clear here. God is clear through the Apostle John that if we hate our brother, then we are in darkness. But if we love our brother, we are in light. And then in chapter 3, we see the same concept. And as we turn over to chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, a little longer passage here, but a lot is said here. We read this in chapter 3, starting in verse 10. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are, are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for that reason did he slay him? Or for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his fathers, his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. 
Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John is being very clear here. God is speaking through him, and what he is saying here is very simple. That our faith, our love, is the way that we show that our faith is true. It says, if you do not love, you abide in death. So, so far we've seen if you hate or don't love, then you abide in darkness, and now you abide in death. John is being very clear here that loving our brother... Loving our family, loving our each other, loving one another is vital to our Christian faith. And without it, we are dead and we are living in darkness. And then he follows this up again in chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love can't get any more clear than this what we see is how important our love is for one another it's not just an add-on to our faith like okay if you know jesus then you can love each other but you don't have to you know whatever you choose no john is very clear here if you know god and you love him and you are following god then you will also love your brother you will love one another and this idea again brother is used over and over and over again this is familial love this is love of family and so paul is making or john is making this very very clear here he goes on in first john and there's more to see and that is this that our love for our brothers not only is evident doesn't only give us evidence of our faith but our love for our brothers is a reflection of the love that god has shown us Uh, this is pretty simple since god has loved us we are called to love one another and it's natural we are going to reflect the love of God, and that is the natural state of who a Christian should be. Should be. Uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, and this says this, And we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay our lives down for the brethren. Jesus sacrificed for us out of love, and we should be willing to do the same for our brethren. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, we see the concept Again, from 1 John nine or 4, 9 through 11, says this, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then finally, one other passage Uh, is just a few verses later in verse 19 of chapter 4. This is one of the simplest verses of Scripture, but filled with some of the best truth. In verse 19 of chapter 4, we read this. We love because he first loved us. You see, the fact that God has loved us and we have accepted his love and he is working in our lives and he has shown his love through sacrificing his son on our behalf so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven of all our sins, that love that he has shown us should naturally naturally be redistributed through us. It's a natural thing as a Christian. When we accept love of God, it should flow out of us to others as well. And so we love one another because he has loved us. We, the love that we can have for one another is directly coming as a source from God himself. And when we don't show love to one another, then we are turning our back on the love that he has already shown us. The next thing we'll look at here is our love for the brothers uh, should be sacrificial. 
So it's, it makes our faith evident. It's a reflection of God's love. But let's remember what it looks like, and that is that it's sac- sacrificial. And we're going to look at that verse three or chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. We already read 16, but we'll go on and read through 18 here. It says this, We know love by this, that he had laid down his life for us, and we ought also lay our lives down for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, when we talk about love here too, it's not just this abstract view of love. Like, oh, okay, we can love each other as brothers, and, but it should result in sacrifice, acts of sacrifice. It should result in acts of sacrifice. That's what we see in this passage. It says, look, Jesus gave his life for us. This is the ultimate giving of love. We should be willing to do the same. But then it gives us more detail because not all of us are going to have an opportunity to literally die for one another. Maybe someday if persecution comes, and that might be a very real possibility, but for right now, a lot of us aren't saying, well, you know what? I'm going to have to give my life for my, the person sitting next to me right now in this chair. But here's the deal. John goes on and says, well, this is what it looks like. When you have the world's goods and you see somebody in need and you close up your heart, then you're not showing the love that you're called to. Here's the deal. Are you willing to sacrifice for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe that's time, maybe it's money, maybe it's of your, your talents. Are you willing to truly sacrifice? You know, when things come, and I'll get to this a little later, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, when things come up to pray for, you know, there's needs in our congregation, a lot of times it's great that we pray, right? It's awesome that we pray because God is the one that's going to work. And we pray and we pour out our hearts in prayer. But I dare say that some of us, and I would include myself in this at times, we pray, and it's almost like our way out of doing something. Like, you know, I know I should do this. I should go visit. I should make a meal. I should go serve. I should do whatever. But, hey, I'm praying, so I'm okay. Okay, praying is really important. Don't get me wrong. But acting and sacrificing our time, our money, ourselves, for the sake of one another, that is where love is seen. That is where true love is seen. And finally, I want to talk about this in, in 1 John uh, verses four or chapter 4, verses 20 through 5, 1. So right after 19, where we just saw we love because he first loved us, this is what we read. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has, not, or whom he has seen, uh, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, And whoever loves the father loves the child that is born of him. This is a great idea here, but here's what we see. It is impossible to love God and not love your brother. It's impossible to do it. And he gives a few examples here and he says, look, if you can't love the person that you see, you see their needs, you see how you can love them and you choose not to, how are you going to love the God whom you can't see? And that's a very good idea there. If we can't live, love what we see, how can we love what we don't see? But here's another illustration that John uses here in this passage that I think is super powerful if you think about it. That if Christ has saved us and we believe that he has been born of God, then this is what will be true. Whoever loves the Father in five one, whoever loves the Father also loves the child born of him. You look throughout 
First John, you'll see in chapter 3 specifically, that we are told that those who believe in Jesus are the children of God. So here we have this idea that if we love God, we will love his children. Well, who are the children? That is our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're going to love God, we need to love them. It is impossible not to do both. It's similar, this is, you know, the idea here is this. So if there was, let's say we had two uh, adults who had kids, you know, the kind of Brady Bunch idea here, right? So we got two, uh, we got Mr. and Mrs. Brady. Let's just use their name. They'd have different names. But anyway, Mr. and Mrs. Brady. Okay, so here's the deal. They, they start dating each other. They love each other. They decide that they really want to get married to each other. But the one says to the other, you know what? I will marry you. And that's cool. Like, I'll come and live for you. But under this condition, that I never have to talk or see or hear your kids. So you know what? You, we'll send them to a boarding school. We'll get married. Everything will be great because I really love you, but I don't love your kids. Um, would that fly? In an ideal world, it wouldn't. Okay, I'm not saying it would never happen, but the idea is if you're looking for a spouse and you've got kids and you want that spouse to be their dad, you want them to love the kids, not just you. I mean, that would be so insulting. Hey, I'll marry you, but you got to get rid of your kids. Nobody would do that, but yet we do that with God sometimes. Like, yeah, I love God, but I don't really have anything to do with them. Like, I don't want to love them. I love you, but why do I have to show my love to them all the time? Another example of this, and I use this in our membership classes, is we're also called the bride of Christ. It would be like, the same idea would be as if you came, if I invited you to my house for dinner after church, and I said, hey, you know, I'd really like you to come, and we'd like to spend some time with you, and you said, you know, that's really great, uh, but... Uh, I, if I come over, here's the deal. I, you need to send your wife and kids somewhere else because I just want to hang out with you. Uh, I'm pretty sure I would rescind your invitation. I may punch you in the face, but probably not because I'm supposed to love you. But here's the deal. Like, that would be offensive, right? It would be. This is the exact example that we see here in 1 John. He's saying, look, if you love the father, you will love the children, they come together. It's a package deal. So if we really want to love God, we will love one another. It's impossible not to. And that'll, we'll come to that in just a little bit, what that means for us. But finally, I want to look at one last passage, because Jesus' followers here, apostles of Paul and Apostle John, weren't the only ones to teach about our familial love for one another. Jesus himself redefined our thoughts as family during his ministry here on earth as well. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We'll be in verses 46 through 50. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While he, who is Jesus, was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak with him. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards the disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus understood this idea. He defined family not by blood but by faith. He defined family not by blood, but by who was following in his father's footsteps in faith. 
You see, what they expected of him was for Jesus to stop his teaching to the people he was teaching to go tend to his mother and brothers because that was supposed to be his priority. But he says, look, the priority is that my family is greater than just my mother and my brothers. My real mother and brothers and family are my followers. And Jesus says, Jesus viewed his followers as family and so should we. As Jesus views each, his followers, his disciples as his family, then we should have the same view. Remember, we're called to be Christ-like. And Christ had this view of others. And he even viewed his family of faith even more importantly than his family of blood, which is a very interesting thing that we see there. He could have left and talked to his mother and his brothers then come back to continue to teach. But no, he used this as an illustration to say, look, I am going to show you who my true family is and who I, who I will love as family. And if he will do that, we should as well. And here's the, the thing that we get out of this. Our mission of doing God's will is the family tie that binds us. He says, those who do my will, my father's will, those are the ones who are my family. And so if we are called, as we looked at the last time we were together, to pursue the same mission as soldiers and as laborers and as prisoners, and we have the same mission and we're walking together, we're fighting together, we're working together, and if that is true and we have that mission to define us, then that is what makes us family. And maybe it's not blood. Maybe we're not related by blood, although, by the way, all of us are related by blood, at least a little bit, Adam and Eve, you know, anyway. But so the point is we're all related anyway, but here's the deal. We are related because we are following God's will together as a family and as a church. And so we see Paul's thoughts. We see it in Philemon. We see how he treats Philemon and Onesimus and how important the love of family is to him there. We also saw it in Romans and 1 Timothy. And then 1 John, the whole book, tells us about how important it is to love our brothers. And not only is it important, but it's really vital. And it's impossible not to love God without or to love God without loving one another. And finally, Jesus himself says, look, you need to view each other as family. You need to be family because I view you as family and therefore we are family. And this is important. This is an important concept we see throughout Scripture. And so as in conclusion this morning, and it's going to be a long conclusion, so I say in conclusion, but you know what that means. Um, Our calling as Christians is to love our fellow Christians with familial love. We need to love one another as family, as brothers, as sisters, as mothers, as fathers. We need to love one another in that way. Philemon is a prime example of this love. If we look at this book and we read it through, you just feel it, you see it, you know it. Paul is showing us what this family love is meant to look like. And finally, other passages from Paul, John, and Jesus confirm our calling to this love. It is confirmed throughout Scripture This is not just one thing we see in Philemon. This is throughout Scripture. And we see that it is important that we love one another as family. So that leads us to a couple questions that we have to consider as we sit here today. First of all, the first question you need to consider is, are you a part of the family? Very simple. Back in 1 John 1.12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you want to join the family... The family we have here of Christians that are following Christ, you need to receive Jesus. And receiving Jesus is saying, is taking what he's done for us. The fact that even though this world was corrupt, he came and he paid for the sin that we've all committed by dying on the cross for our sin, took that penalty, died so that we don't have to face an eternity without him, rose again to prove that he could defeat sin and death, and now he asks us to receive him by 
following him and believing in everything he's done and believing in who he is, trusting him with our life, repenting of our sin and turning away and saying, I want to follow God's way and not my way. If we receive Jesus in that way, then we become his children. We become part of the family of God. So if that's not you today, and if you have not come to be part of the family by receiving Jesus Make today the day you do that, that you receive him and become part of our family because we want you to be part of our family. And if you have any questions about that, please talk to any one of us after service. We would love to share with you how you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you are in the family of God. Second question then we got to ask though if we're here, maybe you are part of the family and you know that, but here's the hard question to really think about. Do your relationships, specifically with one another here, but also in general, do your relationships reflect the love that God has shown you? Do, do your relationships truly reflect the love that God has shown you? And if it doesn't, then you really need to examine your relationship with God because if your relationships with people, if your relationships with one another are messed up and you're not loving people, then what does First John say? Well, you need to look at whether you're truly loving God or not because you really can't love God without loving people. So if you know that there are relational issues in your life with one another, examine not only those relationships, but also examine your relationship with God and make sure that you truly are part of the family. You truly are following him. The third question, and I think this applies to most of us, we can ask this question, do you truly love your fellow believers as family? Do you truly love your fellow believers as family? You know, this is a broad question, and you could go a lot of different directions. I'm just going to say a few things. What this might look like. What does this look like to truly love our fellow believers, all of us who are here as family? Well, first of all, I want to say that family, if we use family an awful lot in this society. But if we look at family, what do you do with family? Well, you're told time and time again with our family, we need to prioritize our family and spend time with our family. Well, I think that's true of our spiritual family, Right? We can't, if you decided today that you just wanted, you're like, I know you guys are my family. If I went home to Felicia and my kids, I know you're my family, but I'm going to spend all my time on my own without you. That doesn't make any sense. And yet so many of us do that with our church family. We say, you know, I'll come when it's convenient for me. We'll come if I want to. But you know what? Uh, it, It doesn't really matter as long as I show up once in a while. That wouldn't happen in a real family. That if, a, if a guy did that and said, I'm just going to show up you know, once a week and, and, and I'll, well, once a month maybe and I'll just say hi and say how much I love you and then I'll leave, that guy would be, if not on the street, at least on the couch. But, but here's the thing. We laugh a little bit about that, but let's think about it. Isn't that what we do with our family here? We say, look, I came once a month. I came twice a month. I saw you guys for an hour on Sunday morning and you know, that, that's enough, that's good and, and now I'll spend the rest of my time with the other things that are important in my life. I, I've been there too. So many times we can do that. Well, here's another. So we spend time with our family, but how about serving your family? Finding a way to show your sacrificial love by serving one another. And we do that in our own families. Why won't we do that in our spiritual family? Find a way to serve. Find a way to get involved. Just like you would in your normal family. You're not just going to sit around on the couch and never let your house be cleaned and let everyone else do all the work. Let's serve one another. Let's sacrifice for our family. Be inconvenienced. 
Now here's a, you know, in our real families, like if you were to hear today that let's say your brother or sister that doesn't live close to you had to be rushed to the hospital for some reason, let's say you hear that tomorrow morning, what would most of you do? Most of you would call your work, say, I've got to go, my sister's in the hospital, I've got to run and go, and you would be there as soon as you possibly could. You would change your schedule, you would sacrifice your time, you would be inconvenienced for the sake of your brother or sister. Are you willing to be just as inconvenienced and just as sacrificial for your brothers and sisters in Christ? When you hear somebody is in need, are you willing to sacrifice your time, your energy, your abilities to help that person, even if it's inconvenient for you? Because that's the true test of love. If we will truly love one another, we will sacrifice and be inconvenienced if need be. And then finally, love and care for your family unconditionally. And I don't have to talk too much about that other than when your family makes mistakes, you still love them. You don't treat them as second-class citizens or turn your back on them. We're going to make mistakes. We're not perfect. We need to forgive and we need to love and we need to be there for one another even when we might not want to be. So those are just some thoughts and maybe there's even more that you could consider, the questions that you could ask. But do you truly love your fellow believers as family? Do I truly love my fellow believers as family? And there's times I've failed. There's times where I have not. And the thing is, we need to make sure, Scripture tells us very clearly, that we need to have love for one another, sacrificing choice love and agape, but also brotherly family affection. Do you truly have that love? Say, well, I don't really know exactly still how that should look. Well, the next time we get together, we're going to look back at Philemon, and we're going to look at several different ways that family love expresses itself. And as we do that, then you will see maybe how you then can love your family here as family and that that would be true of your life. So now in just a second, um, and I'll make my way down there as I talk, uh, it is time for communion. Now here's the interesting thing as we come to communion. And many of you know this to be true, and I talked about it last time we did communion, that... uh, Where communion was instituted in the early church, they would have what they would call a love feast after their service. They would worship together and they would have a love feast. It was a place where you came together. It was the ancient form of a potluck, if you will. And everyone would come together. And the whole idea, hence love feast, was to show one another how much they cared and loved one another. Now you know from the book of Corinthians that they weren't doing this right that they were coming to fill themselves with all the food and not leaving any food for anyone else, and they were being selfish, and they were being disunified. See, that's where we get, that's how they celebrated communion, and yet now we come together as communion, and this is the perfect way for us not only to remember the death of Christ, which is the primary thing. When Jesus instituted it at his last supper with his disciples, it was to remember his death. It was to remember that he was going to sacrifice himself for us, and we could never forget that. But now today it also serves as a way for us to commune as family, hence communion. That we come together and we together declare the death of Christ and we remember that the thing that ties us together is Christ's death and the mission that he has set us on. And so today as we go into this, and I can ask the, if I could ask the ushers who have been asked to come up, if you'd please do that at this point. As we go into this time, as we, as we take the bread and as we take the cup and as we remember Christ's death, help us to remember that this is not just about us. It's not just a selfish way for us to remember Christ. 
This is a way that together we can be a family. And it's just the step in one way that we can love each other in the way we've been talking about this morning. So with that all being said, uh, I would ask uh, Ben if you would just say a prayer to, uh, 